0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to our very second guest pod chat here on Six Feet Under. I am your default uh, host, Ironicus, here with Medibot and a wooden palisade from our usual stable <laughs> of contributors. Because I just throw my weight around and happen to have the calligraph button, so I get to start every time. <laughs> but this being our second guest cast, we have two special guests. By the time we get to our 10th, it's just going to be a nightmare in here, I swear. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, we have not one, but two, yes, the two authors of Inverse World, who each have their own uh, separate uh, portfolio portfolios you may be moved to check out as well. Please, introduce yourselves.
1: I thought Mikan was going first this time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yeah!
2: Oh, yeah,
1: just rock, paper, scissors for it, I don't care.
2: Most people know me online as Mikan, or Hop, and I am one of the authors of Inverse World. And now I'll
1: let Gnome go. Uh, Hi, I am Gnome, also known as Jacob Randolph. And uh, I am the main author of Inverse World. I wrote most of the book. I wrote a lot of other Dungeon World stuff. And I hope to have a lot of fun with all of it tonight. Uh, Just a bit of uh,
0: behind the scenes for people who like a lot of our stuff. Uh, If you are familiar with the NPC Gilder Golden Brass, that came from a uh, Dungeon World game. That featured the uh, the dashing hero playbook, which is one of Jacobs, and it is awesome.
3: Incidentally, it also featured the witch, which That's... I played. Yes, Perido, but I don't think any of that ever got posted, right?
0: Uh, that was one that callgraph ate.
1: <laughs> unfortunately, mm-hmm. it was a great time though. Yep, it was. It's was pretty fun. It's a shame I would have liked to see that.
3: Uh, I appreciated the witch and having a name having Perido among the names.
0: Uh, but uh, before we get to playing Inverse World, uh, it presents a topic that uh, is going to be a lot of fun to talk about, I hope, and that is a non-standard fantasy, because anytime you think of an RPG, you probably think of a fantasy game, and not just anything, but uh, you know, elves in the forest and dwarves crafting in the mountain, and there's a human empire that is either a shining beacon of light or helplessly corrupt. Uh, or both. Or both. And that's really your, your options. Uh, but that doesn't have to be. So um, let's start Go around the table. What are some people's favorite uh, fantasy settings or whatever that don't fit into that mold, or at least not too much? Uh, I'll start. I'm going to go and wrap a Saga. It's a comic book by Brian K. Vaughn published by Image, and it is absolutely brilliant. Every time I read it I get upset that it's over and that I don't deliver a game as fantastic as uh, uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Uh.
1: right, who's next?
0: (laughs) You! You volunteered!
1: (laughs) I volunteered, got it. Uh, I was originally thinking like Dungeons and Dragons type settings when you mentioned it, but I realized, oh wait, I don't have to do that. I'm going to go shout it to Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, you jerk. You took
2: it from me. <laughs> Son <laughs> of a well, You knew I was going to
4: do that. <sighs> it is the best. All right, I'm out. <laughs> I fold.
2: Jacob killed it. Let's go home, guys.
1: Ah, darn it. But yeah, it's just a really good setting. Like, they completely changed up, like, a lot of common preconceptions I had about fantasy worlds when I first watched Avatar because, like, they were just doing all these crazy magic things, like, it ain't no thing. And all the time. And they didn't need to, like, justify it with any sort of... I don't know. It's just very different, and it doesn't justify being different. It just is. Yeah.
0: I think another strength of the Avatar world is how they split up... What in a lot of lazy settings, the the not-Asia people is all of Asia. Uh, yeah. And just... Keeping, maintaining a a cultural identity, uh, even if it's not entirely, because you know you're adapting it to a fictional people. uh, To to keep that distinct is a lot of fun compared to, like I said, more really good aesthetic. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it was it was actually a huge inspiration for Inverse Worlds. To be honest, we took we took a lot
1: of inspiration from Avatar.
3: Oh, huh. that's actually promising, cool-sounding, <laughs> nice.
1: Actually, yeah, the Sky Dancer specifically is extremely based on, like, the Air Nomads, you probably oh. noticed.
3: Yeah, it actually makes sense. I hadn't really considered that at all, I didn't make the connection.
2: Yeah, we, uh, we talk a little bit about it, and we kind of have a- Dungeons & Dragons had an appendix in, which was its list of inspirations. And so we have our own appendix N, which I wanted to call the appendix anime, but Gnome shot that down.
1: (laughs) I went with (laughs) appendix verse.
2: Appendix anime was way better,
1: and I hope that
2: people get upset about that.
1: But only like 60% was anime. Thank you.
2: (laughs) So, but yeah, uh, there's an episode of Avatar. It's the Western Air Temple where they've got that beautiful temple built into the cliffside, and they've got this great architecture. And, I mean, just everything about it was so cool and so fantastic and so not stereotypical fantasy. Which is what I was going to talk about, but then Jacob preempted me.
0: (laughs) Well, there's at least (laughs) one other thing, I'm sure.
2: So, well, I mean... It's, it's something we don't see a whole lot
0: of I mean, there's in... there's a whole appendix, so... Yeah.
2: Well, it's something we don't see a whole lot of in tabletop RPGs for the most part. Uh, you either get games that are just so detail-oriented, where they want so badly to create this new kind of fantasy setting where they just throw details at you constantly, and no one can keep them straight. One of the reasons that elves and dwarves and all that stuff work is is it's something that people just resonate with. Mm-hmm. It's something that's like, oh yeah, we get that. There are elves in the forest, there are dwarves here, there's a kingdom, it's stuff that we know. And so that's kind of the challenge, is you have to find something like that. And uh, that's one of the things Avatar did, I think, really well.
0: Uh, I mean, not every uh, D&D setting is, you know, even officially, falls into that. Uh, Eberron gets a lot of... Uh, deserved respect for breaking up the expectations in some fun and interesting ways. Uh...
2: Yeah, one of the th- I think Eberron does that well because it pulled from other genres and made them fantastical. Mm-hmm. You take a look at things like... Uh, Eberron is great because you can run train robberies and heist games effortlessly.
1: I've been a fan.
2: Yeah and that's not something you're going to see in traditional fantasy, but it slots so well because we have such a great frame of reference for it.
0: Okay, so... Oh, go ahead, sorry.
3: I'm beginning to feel incredibly deeply out of my element here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so there's just some basic uh, stuff out there that's not uh, Lord of the Rings again, or Conan again, uh, or basically default DD assumptions again, however you want to label it. But, uh, what are the advantages that that brings to the table? Uh, so you lose that familiarity. What do you get in return? I think
2: the biggest thing you get in return is a sense of adventure. It, if you, at the same time as your character, are learning about something new and exciting, you get that kind of wide-eyed optimism that you don't get when you're starting to get kind of cynical with things you've already seen billions of times. It's really hard to pretend that you're excited about, you know, the Enchanted Crystal Forest of the elves when this is your hundredth time you've seen the Enchanted (laughs) Crystal Forest of the elves.
0: But in this one, they use mushroom caps as currency. It's completely different.
3: Well, that's funny, because the last one they used mushroom caps as caps.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and they were very
0: fashionable in its
3: style,
1: so I'm glad this a little
2: different. I could go for this a little different
1: aesthetic elven culture, honestly. <laughs> yeah,
2: mushroom elves. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know, it's Probably. like, uh... It's something like... Shadow of the Colossus does this really well. Shadow of the Colossus is weird. <laughs> it's different it's you you feel almost out of place in it at first Mm -hmm. but as you get absorbed in it as you get immersed in it i mean there's this whole rich fantasy world and as every time you find a new colossus every time you find a new landscape it's exciting
3: yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you get the feeling the whole time too that there's like it's a deeply storied world. You just don't you don't see it. You don't know what it is, but you just know like it. It feels like every part of that game has history. The moment mm-hmm. you get there, and then you kind of just like feel it out as you go further through the game.
0: Uh, I think it's also a benefit not just in the setting itself, but what you do there. Uh, being able to break those preconceived notions, those expectations. Because uh, if you land in yet another uh, fantasy world. Like, I mean, our main game, Let's Play 13th Age, is... I, I try to make it interesting and mix things up, but it is, basically, that, that same thing in the broad strokes. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's ancient treasures that you gotta go get, and at low levels, you're gonna get contracted to protect someone's wagon on an overland journey. It's the, the same, uh, same old, same old in, in the verb of the game. But uh, when you're mixing things up in the setting, now you you also get to question, well, what's important here? What's the uh, default action uh, rather than having an, an expectation in the action as well?
2: Yeah, it does kind of constrain your actions when you feel like you're playing out the same story that you've seen a whole bunch of times. Anything else seems like a deviation.
3: Yeah, you kind of like you kind of learn like from popular fiction um, that follows in similar formula is, like, kind of what the reaction to specific situations is already. You kind of know how the situation plays out. So any variation you have, at least for me whenever I'm, you know, doing something in it's more standard, any variation I have is, like, usually... I don't know how to explain it. Not really a joke answer, but, like, me, like, intentionally trying to push, like, in a obtuse direction that... Mm-hmm. That like, may not uh, really be weird. natural, but it wouldn't really... yeah.
0: Like if we had... Uh, uh, just thinking back to an example from our game since I brought it up. Uh, we went to the yeah. Queen's Wood, to the court, and we knew there would be court intrigue. And it was my job to make that expected thing uh, interesting and engaging. Whereas if we did something completely different, there wouldn't be an expected thing. And that has a, a lot of possibility uh, that goes hand in hand with that.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think I think Thirteenth Age actually does that fairly well. It's it's familiar enough that it grabs people, mm-hmm. but there are just enough twists yeah. and turns that it feels different. Like,
0: yeah, there's a lot to be said for for that familiarity for the, uh, uh, having those expectations. I think a setting that is one of my favorites, but is completely standard. And derivative in the best ways is Ashen Stars, where everything is made up of your favorite bits from all your space operas and, and starbound sci fi. But it presents it in a way that the uh, setting itself is basically an adventure toolkit. And it, uh, uh, because you have all those assumptions, something that could be so strange and, well, alien you've got a lot of hook points for people to sink their their claws into because they're so familiar because you know they they watched uh, Voyager and liked it Hey sometimes crazy people play games uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that actually uh, makes a lot of sense I think one of the yeah. one of the things that we miss out on the discussion between new settings versus familiar settings is presentation
3: mm-hmm.
2: When you look at something like Forgotten Realms and Dungeons and Dragons, it does have its weird spots that aren't just traditional fantasy, but it's presented in such a dry, encyclopedic, boring kind of way that it feels boring. It, f- it doesn't feel fantastic anymore. I think we actually see that with games like even Exalted, where it's pulling from all kinds of sources. There's just so much to keep track of. It doesn't feel like it's trying to get you to play it and explore it.
0: Uh, to uh, bring up Inverse World, the game we're about to play, or the setting we're about to play in, uh, I like the way you made most of the setting information rumors. So uh, it just goes along with the whole play to find out. So it's as it becomes the setting you want it to be in the details, and uh, figuring out what that is becomes an exciting part of the adventure. Uh, rather than, uh, well, I, the GM, will read this part of the book, and you get to find out. Well, no, you, you find out through the act of play.
1: Yeah, I had a lot of fun writing the rumors, actually. They were probably one of my favorite parts of the setting. because um, <clears throat> I always felt like, whenever I read a setting book, like, one of the things that always bored me the most was how a lot of settings always have, like, one specific, like, explanation for everything that happens Mm -hmm. and like sometimes they'll be coy with it they'll like say oh it might be this or this but the truth is (laughs) and like i just i don't know that always sort of nagged on me i felt like i was reading someone else's fan fiction here i was like well i'm making the game i'd rather make my own story you know
0: what frustrates me about that is history doesn't even work like that. Like, come on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all these weird things in the world we don't have specific answers for. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. So, no, I think I Inverse think World does that really well, and Jacob really knocked it out of the park with that. All
0: right. So, uh, do we have any... Last thoughts before we want to get to the uh, down uh, and dirty is, dice this rolling? is
4: one thing I'm thinking, and you can like cut this out entirely if I'm completely off base <laughs> with this. But think, thinking about non- non-standard fantasy. Maybe maybe I'm not interpreting these words correctly. Well, you know what seems to me like a good example of non-standard fantasy? Just Pokemon. No, I agree. You yeah, have all oh, made yeah. up you have a world full of made-up nonsense monsters, and it's just kids running around, and somehow this isn't dangerous, it's just fun.
2: Yeah, and, I know, right?
4: And then you get to, like, ride a dragon or a magnet UFO, or, like, oh, this this thing has been extinct for a million years. Let's just, oh, you found a cool piece of amber. Yep, put it in the machine. All right, enjoy your pterodactyl <laughs> beast or whatever. Have fun flying to the grocery store on that. It's cool, whatever. Just, if you have enough, like, weird messed-up monsters everywhere, it's just... You just accept it, and it just becomes this fun thing. I like that. Also, I wanted Space UFO Magnet Monster to (laughs) glide around on and feel important.
3: No, like, I actually... I I feel like that's actually a pretty good example in that it... just gives you... Pokemon has just really weird rules to its world that you just, from the very basis of the concept, accept. Like, it's just...
1: Mm -hmm. Of course, Kids I could throw a dragon and... in a tiny three-inch wide metal sphere. Like that makes yeah. perfect sense.
3: Right. It's it's just it's just people who want to be Pokemon trainers and just they catch they catch these monsters for some reason and there's the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different kinds, yes. millions, and bro. they're all incredibly cartoony and goofy. Some and as a,
0: as a gameable setting, there's an obvious thing you do: you go and collect them. You take right. the ones you collected and you battle. Uh, which is, I mean, to have a really well-defined central activity makes it great for a game, which is good because it was made up for a game.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that the game sold tons and tons and tons of copies.
0: <laughs> so I so guess they were in, onto something there.
3: Probably in the thousands of copies, if <laughs> being.
0: Let's not get crazy here. <laughs>
3: like several hundred. <laughs> Maybe
1: like 42 copies. If I'm not wrong, I think they made a sequel or two over the years.
3: <laughs> I don't know, probably didn't do it well.
1: Uh, yeah, but that's a perfect example of like non-traditional fantasy. It just does its own thing, completely mm-hmm. different from what anyone and, else. Did I mean, before. what can
0: you point to as an antecedent of Pokemon? Like where did it lift that idea from? Uh I, I don't know, an expert probably would be able to name a few yeah. things, but I can't. Oh can. yeah, there uh, is
2: someone pushing up their glasses right this <laughs> second.
0: <laughs> it's
4: good, I'll eat your glasses. <laughs> I, I
3: accidentally, like, I almost went and, like, Wikipedia, like, the, or- <laughs> like the, the original bait of, like, uh, Monster Rancher and... uh Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what was first. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm kind of glad I don't know which was first. It's it's <laughs> nice not having that burden of knowledge for a change. I know, right? But
3: someone... <laughs> I, someone- yeah, I, I feel like I should go back
0: to my, uh, opening stuff and say, I mean, we already covered it after, but the thing I like about Saga, why I brought it up, is because you never know what's around the corner, what's, what they're going to next, and, uh, I guess this is more a writing thing than the, uh, setting itself, but the way the information is conveyed to the reader is just like, oh yeah, I should have known. Of course, uh... They they have spaceships that grow out of trees here. Why why else would it be called the Spaceship Forest? How silly of me. Uh,
1: that sounds kind of awesome.
0: It is. Oh my God, you've got to pick it up. It's the best. I, I think it's I the do, best actually. book.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly, I
2: could I could talk about Brian K. Vaughn in general about that for hours. I mean, you look at his run on Runaways, and it doesn't feel like traditional comics, supers comics. It was something new and exciting at the time.
0: And uh, if you want to talk about why The Last Man in terms of uh, post-apocalypse stories, it's entirely unique in that field.
2: Yeah, but it it resonates with people all the same,
0: even though it's different. Mm -hmm. So uh, welcome to the Brian K. Vaughn cast. We're going to be playing (laughs) Inverse World shortly. (laughs) Uh, Any final thoughts? Alright, we'll see you on the other side. Okay.